Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. Growing up in Detroit, Michigan with a love of the arts, his mom saw class for how to have kids in show business remain healthy and balanced. For some reason, she thought it would be a fun class to take. And somehow that class led to a trip to New York and my guest today being cast in a Broadway show at a really young age. Welcome, Andrew Keenan-Volger, to the podcast. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Andrew Keenan-Bolger. Andrew has starred on Broadway in Tuck Everlasting, Newsies, Mary Poppins, Susical, Beauty and the Beast, and A Christmas Carol. He starred in the national tours of The Grinch, 25th Annual, Putnam County, Spelling Bee, and Ragtime. On film and television, he has done many, many things, but some of the roles are in projects called The Rewrite, Nurse Jackie, Looking, and Marcy X. He is a creator of the critically acclaimed web series Submissions Only. He is currently in the Marvel serial podcast Wolverine. He is the co-author of the children's series Jack and Louisa. He is a humanitarian, an activist, an all-around incredible person. And I want to welcome Andrew Keenan-Bolger to the podcast. Hello, how's it going? I'm so glad to be here. I know. I haven't seen you since we did BroadwayCon together. Oh my gosh. That was, it was my first panel of BroadwayCon, and I will tell you, it set a really high bar. We had such amazing guests. Yeah, we did. Andrew and I were on a panel that I hosted called Auditions, The Good, The Bad, and The Hilarious. And uh, I'm going to be sharing it with all of you, but it was Donna Murphy, Andrew, Emily Skeggs, uh, Leslie Margarita, and me. And I feel like I not only was so proud to host the panel, but I was so proud and excited to be in the audience of the panel at the same time. I felt like I was conducting it and listening and wanting to write notes about how to go out. Donna Murphy, especially. I mean. <laughs> and that's it. I was like, I have so many hangups about auditioning. And seeing someone who's such an icon who seems completely confident and just totally fearless know that she feels the same things and yet has been able to spin it into this really positive outlook. Yeah. Oof, it was the goods. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) And I also felt like, okay, if Donna Murphy is getting up and going to auditions, 
how dare I have one moment of like, ugh. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe the rest of you audition? She's like (laughs) full hair, makeup, like character, like the whole thing. So anyway, um, onward to you, my friend, which is, you know, I mentioned so many of the incredible credits that you've done, even though this is such a truncated bio of yours. But I was, uh, you will see that I have deep bags under my eyes because I was up most of the night. I've seen you in every one of those Broadway shows, so that went without saying. But I was on the YouTube binge watching, as the kids like to say, submissions only, which is one of the most perfect, delightful, delicious commentaries on what it is to be an actor in the New York theater, particularly the musical theater world. Every actor in it, it's like the who's who. It's like one Tony (laughs) winner or nominee after another. You have Kelly O'Hara doing Pratt Falls. You have Kristen (laughs) Chenoweth actually almost singing on the show, which is the greatest... I don't know. I don't want to spoiler oh, well, alert the whole you. thing. No, it was definitely, it, it was very much the law and order of musical theater. There like you, you go. had to get every cameo in from every Broadway person. Is that done? I don't know. You know what? It, we ended season three with uh, like a little bit of an ellipsis, but also, yeah, I, I don't know. Every Every few months, Kate and I will be like, what if we did this for season four? And usually when we go and do something like Broadway Con, of course, it brings up all these new ideas. How did you know Kate Weatherhead originally? So I knew Kate just sort of on the periphery. She was in uh, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee with my sister. So when Celia I was in, in, with my sister Celia, uh, and they were both in the original cast. And so I remember like seeing her at cast parties, but never actually entering in a conversation. And uh, then we both got cast in the musical It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman in uh, Dallas at the Dallas Theater Center. And we both went down there and both kind of clocked each other early on as, oh, this person has a funny sense of humor. And, you know, both of us had been doing so many new works. And this was really a like a revisal of uh, the old 1970s Superman musical. So a whole new book. And we had just seen so many people developing stuff and had gotten a real ear for uh, dialogue and comedy. And just while we were there, I had just come off of, I won a filmmaking competition and won this like big editing suite and all this camera equipment and really had no idea what to do with it. And she had just closed out a Broadway show and was sort of feeling like, I don't know, what next? Like, I, I, both of us got to be on Broadway at young ages and sort of reached that goal and just had a little bit of creator's itch. Mm-hmm. And I think we recognized it in each other. And one day, like, in a parking lot, she suggested, you know, my husband thinks we should do a web series together. And I was immediately like, that's so funny. I was just looking for what I was going to do with all this equipment. And we spent basically that matinee just going back and forth, being like, okay, well, it could take place in, like, the theater world, obviously, because we have no money. We can't, like, set it in a hospital. Uh, <laughs> it's not a, not a hospital drama. It doesn't exactly. take place at NASA. Right. Um, and we're like, okay, yeah, maybe it's about, like, an uh, actress and a casting director. So it's like you see both sides. And it was basically every time we would run off stage for entrances and exits, we would have, like, a new little idea. And... What we sort of came up with in that first day was what the series ended up being for three seasons. How many episodes per season? Uh, I think the first season was about six, and then there are 
8. In okay, the... so that's why I was up yep. till 4 a.m. Yep. That's what, <laughs> that's what happened. Anyway, they're about half hour, Half each are about half hour episodes. And anyway, I, I, I could spend the entire time with you now talking about that, except I want everyone to go watch it, and then we can come back <laughs> perfect, and perfect. we can call in and ask questions and all of that. <laughs> Something you just said when you were talking about how you and Kate first came to this idea mm-hmm. was we had both been on Broadway as young people, yeah. as children. So that's what I want to talk to you about. Sure. That's where we're going to start. Um, if that's okay. At the very beginning. It's really, I have found it's a really good place to start, <laughs> personally. You come from, as we mentioned, I interviewed your sister, who is also um, an actress who's appeared on Broadway many times. So obviously there was something in the water <laughs> in the uh, Keenan Bolger household that um, inspired tremendous creativity. Maybe it's not just the water, maybe the DNA <laughs> itself. Can you talk to me a little bit about growing up in your home, in your hometown of... Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Uh you know, I grew up with two sisters who were doing theater as soon as I could kind of have any kind of cognition. Celia is uh, like six or seven years older than me. So I have been told that the first musical I saw, I was less than a year old, and I went to go see Celia in uh, Showboat, the musical. And I think my parents were just bringing me in for her number, and then they were going to take me out afterwards. And I ended up just sort of sitting and watching the whole thing, totally quiet. And I obviously have no recollection of that, but it, it feels right. Yes. Um, I really grew up watching my two sisters acting, and I think it was probably as much passion as well as uh, convenience for our parents that... That you have the same hobby Yeah, Yeah, they're say, like, yes. oh, the carpool situation, let's put all the kids into acting. It's right. easier than having to drop one off at gymnastics, one at... I don't know. What do other real people do? Go to football practice or something. (laughs) Not us. And we're like mini people, so. (laughs) Are you just the three kids? There's not another? Okay. So, but you, not only did you watch and not only did you immediately, if the story is true, Mm -hmm. go, these are my people. This Mm -hmm. is my world. At some point, you discovered that you also have a voice. Like, you're an extraordinary singer. Oh, jeez, um, thank you. And a wonderful actor. When did you realize, oh, I can also sing? Oh, man. It was probably those car trips. Like, we were a show tunes family. And especially, I think, with Celia being a little bit older, her taste was very sophisticated. Like, uh, I remember she was on a real tear of like, I think there are people who are just a little bit more, that have like more of a viewpoint than Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like we need to listen to some uh, Stephen Sondheim in this household, like at 11. Uh, so for so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely growing up, like when I was seven, I could sing all of the opening of Into the Woods, like every part. And, and did you have friends that you were doing this with? Yeah, I think so. You know, It's funny, there's a lot of talent that comes out of the Midwest, which you would kind of assume would not be the case because there's not a ton of culture. And access, right? Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't YouTube already where you could, like, be watching the Tonys and the Broadway. Like, it was really not accessible in the same way. Was there a big major theater that you would go see? I mean, there, there were a couple local theaters in Detroit that sometimes, like, a national tour would come through, but there was not a ton of performing opportunities. But I think that sometimes when you are in that situation, it sort of forces creativity. Um, There are a lot of, like, basement musicals that my sisters and I did. And we're strangely, when I moved to New York and I grew up 
with a lot of city kids. A lot of times, I think because music theater and Broadway was right at their disposal, they didn't have that hunger to really be a part of the community um, because it's sort of always been there. Right. Whereas when you grow up with one tour coming through like every like six months, uh, you're just so starved for it. Were your parents singers also? Were they into it? You know, not really. They, my dad, like plays the organ at our church, and my parents definitely had like a huge appreciation for musicals. But they would not have signed us up for theater unless Celia had seen some local production and said, "I want to do that." So you were in Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Was that your first Broadway show? Yeah. yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was ten years old. Okay, so this is very young. Yeah, and like yeah. you just said, you are not living in New York City, where like some teacher puts a note up on the bulletin board, like, "Hey, they're casting. Telsey's casting." Right? <laughs> like you're in Detroit. Yeah, man. So how did like where did the professional part of this start, and how did it start at such a young age? Um, my mom signed us up for a workshop that was called raising healthy kids in show business or something, some local thing through, I don't even know what. Uh, And we went there and randomly there was an agent from New York who was sort of scouting talent. And it was not the reason that we had signed up for this. It was more to see like how to build a resume and like really basic stuff. Did all three of you go? Yeah. Your other sister is Maggie. Yeah, Maggie, who's a year older than me. Okay. And this agent, I think, approached my mom afterwards and was like, if you would ever consider bringing the kids in for like a couple auditions, um, I think it might be something cool for them to try out. And I have to imagine my parents just saw it as an opportunity to do like a little road trip to New York. Yeah, and never a life was like, experience. Yeah, and was never like, oh, yes, and now we're moving to pursue yeah. our children's dreams. Yeah. Um, but on one of those first auditions. Wait, so you get in the car and you yeah. come to New York City and you're yep. singing company and all sorts of show <laughs> exactly. along the way. Exactly, completely. You get, do you remember that trip? I totally do, yeah. Where did, we, you, did you have family in no, the area? No, nope. Where do you stay? Tell me what happens. I think I, we must have just stayed in like some crappy. Holiday Inn or yeah, something. Yeah, some crappy hotel and the first thing we auditioned for it was for Les Miserables on Broadway on the Broadway three of you? I think maybe just my sister Maggie and I because okay. we were like the right ages okay. for Cosette and Gavroche and afterwards they were like you guys are both too short but we really like you would you be interested in seeing the show tonight we'll give you guys some free tickets uh, which for the record has never happened again I've never auditioned for anything <laughs> and they're like now house seats but I think I know Brian Darcy James was like I didn't get to see that show until I was in that show. <laughs> Truly. Like I would never get tickets yeah. for Hamilton because yeah, yeah. I was reading for it. Like it doesn't of happen. Of course. <laughs> um, so I think it was a real whirlwind experience. So you go see Les Mis that night. Now yeah. you're in your first. Bro- you're watching your first Broadway mm-hmm. show. Your mind is like explosion. Yeah, and. I think I just saw like a huge possibility and I have to imagine it the trip went pretty well. Like we didn't get the jobs, but we, we got, got free, free we got free house seats. Yeah. And I think my parents just saw that kind of sparkle in our eyes. So I think the next Broadway musical I auditioned for was Beauty and the Beast. And did you come back to New York to yeah. audition for it? Yep. And also in the room, they were like, Is your mom or your dad in the waiting room and they brought my dad in they're like we're gonna offer him this role so would he be able to start in two weeks and 
I think my dad was like, uh, okay. What does that even mean? Yeah, truly. And so it ended up just, it started out my dad and I, we were living at the Y up on like 72nd because there was no way to get a sublet that quickly when right. you're living in Detroit. It's not like there was Craigslist back then. Right. So we were like living out of a suitcase while I was in rehearsal while our family sort of packed up our house. And did they call you Andy or Andrew when you were Andrew. little? Yep. So always Andrew. So yeah. Andrew got this job as Chip. Yeah. Chip. By the way, now, had you been familiar with the movie? Like, did you? Yeah, of course. Like, oh, my God. Oh, okay. completely. Okay, because yeah. I'm freaking out and I'm not even <laughs> you. So you get this job. It is the original Broadway company. Uh, it was like first replacement. Okay, so yeah. it's running and you know mm-hmm. this is going to, it's going to keep going. Yeah. It's not like this I is, I hope so. it works. Yeah. Like, it's Beauty and the Beast and the machine is, uh, it's on. Totally. So your whole family moves with you. Yeah. Yeah. What were your parents' professions? My my mom was a teacher and my dad was a city planner. Um, but my dad also random like fact. Uh, he speaks, little known fact. Little known fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, he speaks six languages. Like you do. Like you do. So when we moved to New York, he got a job teaching I think Latin and Spanish at a middle school. And my mom uh, started tutoring uh, for on-location education, which, like, tutors kids within the arts. And uh, Celia, I think, was getting ready to start her freshman year at uh, University of Michigan. So she was spending her summer with us. Mm-hmm. But she was already yeah. moving. Yeah, she was already moving out of the house. Life. And yeah. Maggie. And Maggie came and was auditioning and doing theater in New York as well. Did she go to... A New York City public school? Yeah, yeah. We both went to, I went to, uh, my parents put us in different schools. I was at uh, like a magnet school for um, academics and my sister Maggie went to PPAS, the okay. Professional Performing yes. Arts School. Yes, yes. Wow. So you get put into the show. Mm-hmm. Were there other kids coming in at that time? No, just me. So yeah. they rehearsed you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I think it was like three rehearsals. I mean... It sounds You're like crazy, I know the but... songs, by the way. <laughs> and also, it's like my head on a tray. That's not like I had to ever learn blocking because they just wheeled me around in a cart. Was that comfortable or uncomfortable? Uh, I remember thinking it was really cozy and cool. And okay. I was obsessed with the sort of illusion of it. Um, yeah. And so I was in, in Detroit at the beginning of the week and then performing on Broadway by the weekend. And what? Who were the grown-ups that were in the show at the time that you were in it? The Beast was uh, Jeff McCarthy. Okay. Uh, and Belle was uh, Carrie Butler in her, like, Broadway turn, this, like, young girl from Toronto. Uh, and, like, Mrs. Potts was uh, Beth Fowler, who was the original. Patrick Quinn, who used to be the president of Equity, who passed away a little bit ago, was Lumiere. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was a really cool insane experience and the adults in that show were so generous to um patrick who is the other uh, chip and joey who took so over that's what patrick. i was going to ask yeah. how many chips were there yeah, there were two at any given time and then uh one of them grew out of it and they brought in another kid um but yeah it was amazing and like some of the a lot of those adults who I met on that first show, I still know today and still work with, and our paths have crossed. And uh, yeah, did it's you wild. feel like you were treated well? So well, and you know, I, I was not treated like just like the kid. 
the generosity. You were yeah. The adults would like take me out to lunch dates, like to try sushi for the first time or like go see a You're show. You're like, this is disgusting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I think I was like, I just want to be cool like these people. I remember but like. I remember the first time I ate sushi. It's oh. always because someone, you know, yeah, I'm exactly. not Japanese. It's not part of, I grew up in Teaneck. It was Truly. not part of it. And I was like, had a crush on someone. So I was like, of course I like sushi. <laughs> just everyone I know has their first time trying sushi story. We're like. I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing about this that it's like getting your dental impressions. Like truly nothing I don't familiar. Enjoy <laughs> don't enjoy this. And now I love it. Now I love it. There That's you go. Good. So it's decided that you're going to continue. Yeah. It wasn't like a one off. You're like, I'm gonna do well, this. Well, you know what? It kinda was. I think after I did it for about a year and a half and then my parents I remember both my sister Maggie and I got cast in other Broadway shows. And my parents were like, you know what? I think it's time for us to move back to Michigan for a little bit. So you're not going to do them? Yes, we're not going to do them because my dad had like been away from his job and my mom was away from her classroom. And so after about a year and a half, we we like went back to Michigan and like Celia, Maggie and I all did a, a show together uh, just at like a community theater. And it was sort of back to life normal. And then the musical were you wearing ascots? Were you like walking around like it was kind of normal? Except (laughs) I was the kid who. (laughs) You know what? Honestly, my parents were like very humbling, and Mm -hmm. the second that they heard us brag. It was like shows over. Back to Detroit. Yeah, to the point that I still have like weird hangups about that. Now I'm so bad at selling myself in a room if I have to like pitch something. Right. I always go to like being super humble, which I think actually then ends up sounding sort of disingenuous. But but that's or very charming. Uh, I don't so, know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, so let's talk about that because yeah. I get it. Right. There's this yeah. there's this constant battle. Like, am I an artist? Mm-hmm. Would an artist ever try to sell something or make money doing it? Like like finding that balance between yeah. ambition and not being embarrassed by being ambitious. It is such a complicated I know. It's, thing, and it's hard to be healthy about. Mm-hmm. I have found that it's best if you have a partner or a good friend who is able to Andrew's be amazing. Your man. You should go see him. Truly, because exactly. I, I can't do it myself. And when I do do it, it ends up just coming off gross. Well, I don't the know, thing that you do is the work. And I you're, try. And yeah. you're a very talented human being and <laughs> well, who's worked you. very hard for a very long time. That walks in the room before you even have to open your mouth. Like there's a lifetime of integrity and great work. So oh, that's so. the good news. <laughs> but in what ways were your parents, because Midwesterners, you know, I'm married to a Wid- yeah. Midwesterner. There is a trip on the word because I can't <laughs> believe I'm married to a Midwesterner. It is a very humble culture. Mm-hmm. And... Um, bragging is frowned upon. It's like yeah. showing, not talking about it. Yeah, yeah. What were the things that your parents would say or do that when you say I'm still a little tripped up about mm-hmm. it? Well, you know what's interesting is we're, I mean, we're from Detroit, Michigan, and a lot of people say I'm from Detroit and they're from like one of the burbs, but you we're really from are. Detroit proper. Yeah. So I grew up always being the only white kid in my class. And I think in some ways, I mean, I will say that that has benefited me tremendously. Just being a white man in America to have grown up as a minority, uh, I think is really helpful. But I think that it was just something that made me different. And it wasn't something I was like super all about being like, I was on you Broadway. guys, I was on Broadway. But they all knew, like, then you came back. Yeah. Did they, did people understand what had happened or did they I have think no? like a little bit. But at the end of the day, like, 
kids are less, they don't care about that shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's maybe cool for a second, but like, you got to be a cool person to hang out with. So you are very public about the fact that you mm-hmm. are engaged yeah. to a man. I am indeed. And he's adorable. <laughs> so at what point, you know, you were the only white kid in your class in yeah. Detroit in the 80s. Yeah. When did that become integrated in your life yeah. in a way that was comfortable? I mean, I think truly working on Broadway in the 90s at a young age and seeing these incredibly evolved, self-actualized, proud, confident gay men, I think was my first cue that there is a future Mm -hmm. uh, for any kind of lifestyle choice I make. So when you were 10 and you're Mm -hmm. chip, what year did you get I did it in 96. Okay. So people were out around you. Yeah. Was that the first time that you had been in a community of people? I mean, you had done yeah, some community yeah. theater in Detroit. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I'm sure there were... had to have been gay people, but I, it was not as... In the Midwest, it just wasn't really something you talk about, and there was such tremendous pride. I know it was like early days of Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. So, like, I had very frank conversations with my parents and with cast members about the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. which... Like, I moved to New York, like, right when that cocktail came out. Yeah. So there was still a lot of heartbreak and a lot of people who had lost their friends. Uh, so it was a huge part of the Broadway community at that time. And a lot of it was being open and being um, just proud. And, yeah, I think I think I recognized whether or not I realized, oh, that person is gay. I saw... It was like total fun home ring of keys moment where yeah. you're like, oh, my God, I know that. That's and did you me. know that about yourself already? I think, I think, yeah, a little bit, yeah. If if it wasn't um, like truly sexuality, it was certainly recognizing, um, I don't know, there's like this bit of community that I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And these these people just seem comfortable with like embracing a bit of their feminine side and uh, – yeah, it was, it was amazing. I think it made coming out so much easier. Did you come out in some official way to your family or was it... Uh... <laughs> you know what? It's sort of funny. My uh, my sister Maggie, who is a year older than me, is uh, gay as well. She's a lesbian. And she came out, I think, right after we left New York. She was super young, like 12 or 13. And interestingly enough, my parents were like so supportive that I feel like it sort of made me not want to come out it was very like this is our gay daughter maggie and like talking to like my old aunt and they're like so what's going on she's like well we have very exciting news our lesbian daughter maggie is uh she's gay and we are very excited about this and she turned down a broadway show (laughs) by the way no truly in a way that i was like okay well that's great but i don't want that exactly so i i spent a little bit more time not in the closet but I just being quiet. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. That's great. Aunt Martha, we have some very (laughs) Very exciting news. (laughs) I mean, I wish I were making this up, but it's actually real. (laughs) That's great, though. Sounds like you were born into a pretty awesome family. Yeah, truly. And my sister, if you look at her now, she is 
a huge advocate. She runs a theater for uh, queer women and uh, trans people. So it has like, become such a huge part of her life. And she was always a little bit more the flag waver than I was. So right. it was fitting. And uh, Well, that's what it I is like to be where we are in, in the placement of a family mm-hmm. is also such a big part of the story. Oh, my god! I mean, in a way, she kind of stole your thunder, right? <laughs> like, wait a minute. No, I'm in this family – I'm the gay child. <laughs> okay, that's been taken. Like, it's yeah, sort of totally. like you have to find your... Yeah, what, your... what's interesting yeah, about the third kid? Exactly. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, many things. <laughs> so you go home. Mm-hmm. You're back in Detroit. Now, is this Detroit, like, at the height of car culture and it's prosperous? Or is it's, this, like, everything's dying a and a little depressed? hard times. Yeah, it was big white flight. I think it was in its lowest population that it's ever been. Uh, so why was your family there? You know what? I'm I think we're fourth generation Detroit. My my great grandparents, I think, moved there. And uh, my family, they really love it. My dad's a city planner for Detroit, so he is I mean, he's obsessed with It's in your blood. Yeah. And it's a place that I was originally really loved and then I think grew to be ashamed of. Mm. And now I'm so thankful for what it gave me and so proud of what it's doing now. And it's like really having a huge artist resurgence yeah. and a true renaissance of like small business and uh, black culture and uh, just a place that's really cool to have grown up in. And much of your family is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us more of the story. So your okay. dad and mom are like, mm, we're cutting you off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No more Broadway. <laughs> So we're we're just doing community theater. It's all great. And then um, I remember the musical Ragtime came out. Uh, we got like the concept album. And I think my parents, being their like super social justice people, they were like, oh, this musical is going to be really good. Um, and so when auditions happened for the Broadway company and for the tour, they were like, okay, I guess we can take Andrew back and yes. audition for it. It matches our politics. It matches, yeah. Very socially conscious. And... Uh, I ended up getting cast on the national tour and my parents were like, all right, well, we can't do the full move the family on the road, but we can find guardians for you. My like grandma was there for a little bit. Uh, A couple like aunts and uncles. Celia was my guardian for part of the time uh, and just sort of went around the country getting to do that musical. And then you end up back in New York. Yeah. And then then like Aaron's and Flaherty, uh, who wrote Ragtime, they... We found out that they were developing this musical, Susicle, and they wanted me to be JoJo in it. So it's hard to say no to someone who is as amazing as Aaron's and Flaherty. So I think my parents were cool with that. Yes. Although I didn't get to really do Susicle for very long because when we were out of town, my voice changed and I hit like puberty. And so I only did it for a month on Broadway. So that must have been devastating. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't want to no, say it, your feelings for you. It actually was. Uh, yeah, it was pretty sad to think To create that, something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, even when we moved to Broadway, uh, I don't want to say demoted, but I was... Uh, demoted. I was demoted <laughs> to be the alternate because uh, I really couldn't sing the role It Shows Awake. Uh and then, yeah, and then I kind of got fired after a month. But <laughs> All right, well, my son was Horton in Susical oh, so in the sweet. fifth grade, in the fifth grade version of it. And I have to say, the music, some of my favorite mm-hmm. songs are from that show, yeah. Alone in the Universe, I Could Weep Come right on. now. 
they are incredibly difficult songs to sing. Yeah. And they are so high. Yeah. And unless they're willing to like dial down the key, <laughs> which they kind of even did. They yeah. they dropped one of my songs, but even then it was like I didn't really look like a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh and I, I do know for a fact, though, that it was like Aaron's and Flirty that fought to – I think that they were just trying to can me after our out of town. They were like, let's bring him to New York. Let him do like a month or so. How old are you now? Uh, I'm 32 now. No, no, no. I mean now when oh. you're <laughs> – So I was 32. I finally hit puberty. So they said that you weren't a child because yeah. you were 32. Right. Yeah. So it's so strange. Are you like 12 at I the was, time? I was actually 15. Okay. So you which, really like, were. I was, Yeah. You'd been pushing it, but you're mm-hmm. you're petite. Like yep. there was a way, a world in which it could have worked beautifully, yeah. save for the voice. Yes. <laughs> so how do they I bet this is really painful and I yeah. don't want to bring no, back bad memories, but I could only imagine that that kind of stuff is really almost impossible to handle with an adult fully formed brain and psychology about yeah. how to get through life. Do you remember them sitting you down and saying, Andrew, or did they call your agent and do it like in a nasty way? Like, how does it go down? This is kind of terrible. Um, that show opened out of town right when, like, the theater chat board started. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of sort of negative buzz about what was going on behind the scenes at Susical. And I remember... In general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And possibly from people in our own cast who were sort of writing anonymously, it's suspected. And I remember actually reading on a chat board when I was like 15 that I was going to get fired. Um, So that was pretty toxic. (laughs) Uh, But no, they handled it pretty delicately. I remember being like super heartbroken. Um, And it was something... Where up until that point, it had been a hobby and it had been a joy to get to do theater. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first time that I think I was confronted with like the actual business of it. And And if I were in their position as a producer, I would have done I would have made the same choices, too. Um, But it it was suddenly an adult profession. And I am now I can look back and I'm thankful for that because I think it gave me the perspective as a young kid that like it's not always easy and, and it had no started part of... so easily for you mm-hmm. like la 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 now I'm in this yeah. one and now I'm at... right yeah, yeah yeah uh so i do look back and i am i'm thankful that something like that happened early on in my career when i was still able to like all right now you just go back to school and sort of have that safety net um and then it wasn't until probably like 10 15 years later um i was writing uh I had gotten a book deal with my uh, collaborator, Kate Weatherhead, to write a children's series about kids in musical theater. And we were talking about, okay, so when we were the age of our two protagonists, like, where were we? And I was like, ugh, I don't want to talk about my story because I was, like, getting fired from a Broadway show. And Kate was like, that's absolutely where our book starts. Uh, And so I ended up really, after the fact, kind of cathartically exercising that experience and uh, if you read our books, uh, the book begins with uh, Jack getting fired from like this brand new Broadway show and moving back to his hometown in Shaker Heights, Ohio, where he meets Louisa, who is another music theater nerd who's just doing um, community theater and seeing how that sort of dynamic plays out. Uh, and it was really healing in some ways. I assumed I was sort of over it, and it wasn't until we were writing it again that I saw some of the harm and then some of the beauty of getting to go back after 
leaving Broadway. And the thing that I think really saved me was getting to do these community theater shows and rediscovering my love of performing and realizing that it doesn't have to be on a Broadway stage to right. be important. What makes theater special is the people you share it with and the passion that they have for what you're doing and everyone working on something together. Like that magic exists on any stage. What is it about musical theater in particular? What is it? Like <laughs> oh, it God. what can you what is it? Oh man. I think that there is something magical in just the art form, the specific art form of going into song when things are too hard to express in dialogue, that it then gets the perfect kind of relationship between words and music happens when you start singing. Uh, I think that that is like pretty magical. And when I think of, I'm not a religious person, but when I think of some kind of like religious experience I've had, Almost all of them have involved singing mm -hmm. and uh, hearing people sing and hearing, like, words expressed through music. So you agreed <laughs> everything he said, what he said. So you come back to New York. Mm -hmm. Do you get a job that brings you here or are you like, okay— I'm a grown-up. Did you go to college? I did, yeah. I went to I went to college in Michigan, where I'm from. I went to the University of Michigan. And, uh, yeah, and then moved to the city. Uh, yeah. Was Celia already here? Yeah, Celia was in New York. And it was funny because she had graduated from school and uh, had been auditioning. And so many people, their point of reference was like, oh, you're Andrew's brother. She's like, yeah. And then when I graduated and moved to the city, everyone was like, oh. You're Celia's brother. Oh, wait, you're Andrew's sister is what yes. they would say. Yes. 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 That's <laughs> yeah. why it works. That's why it works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was really great. And I think having that sort of family base of both my sisters were living in New York and uh, getting to do that. It was amazing. And I pretty much immediately started auditioning and working again. So Newsies mm -hmm. is something that I have been to Broadway Con. Uh, and I've witnessed what happens when Andrew Keenan Bolger, who will continue to do many things in his career, but in certain environments, crutchy will be the oh, person. Oh, certainly. <laughs> People. I don't think I will ever shake that one. So you created uh, a character that has become really iconic in in the world of musical theater and Broadway that has brought so much joy to so many people. What? Is it to be a part mm -hmm. of something like that, like to have yourself be connected in such a strong way um, that people will not let you let go of it, whether you <laughs> want to or not? I mean, I think it, if it were any other musical, I would be like, oh, God, this show again. But I do I view that musical as the most fun I've ever had in my life getting to be a part of. Um, I think we knew right away the cast that we were a part of something special mm -hmm. and uh I had just never heard that kind of audience reaction, um, especially from teenagers and young people, that it, it really galvanized an audience on Broadway that I don't think had been as present. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it'll always it'll always be a part of me. And I, I'm not sure I will ever have more fun than that. It felt like going to school all over again, except with like 18 other boys. So when did you become a dancer? 
Oh God! Uh, uh, <laughs> or how do you next how do you week, think maybe? of yourself when it comes to all of the physical I movements? A, I involved? am a mover, <laughs> uh, but you fake it really. I mean, crutching. Luckily, you had a crutch. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, I remember at the like final callback, they made me go in and do the dance call with all the other boys. You're like, no, Crutchy don't, won't have to do any of that. Will he? Yes, yeah. I, and I think that they were like, well, he can dance well enough to stand in the corner mm-hmm. and like... With one leg. W- with one leg and do some armography, but yeah, no, I'm not I'm not a great dancer. I think I maybe thought I was a better dancer until I met those boys, and then I'm like, no chance. You mentioned earlier that you had won a filmmaking award, mm-hmm. so you had equipment and a room and yeah. all of this stuff to make a series with. Yeah. Why did you win a filmmaker's award? I won, um, well, I think, which is sort of becoming the norm, I, f- I discovered filmmaking through, like, YouTube. I was a video blogger and uh, was used to sort of just documenting my life. And uh, had sort of garnered a little bit of following online with, especially with young people. Um, was this pre or post Newsies? Uh, it was pre Newsies. So how did you already, like, how did you even do that? Mm-hmm. How do you get a following online? I mean, that was truly just, if it feels important to me, maybe it'll feel important to someone else. Uh, and it was something I was passionate about and just hoped maybe someone else would be. And what was at the heart of that vlog? Uh, it was. It started out as documenting, um, like my life as an actor. Uh, I I did a show regionally where I like sort of documented the backstage antics of it, and then when I went on the Spelling Bee tour, I was sort of doing like a backstage video blog, uh, which now seems so ubiquitous. Like right, every, but you, everyone has one of uh, those. You were a pioneer. Yeah, and and I think when there were not really anyone, no one was really doing it, so they were all sort of starved for any kind of. Uh, theater content on Behind YouTube. The curtain. Yeah. yeah. Uh and I ended up winning a, a a video contest for making travel videos. So for Lonely Planet, I'm having been in many different cities, uh I put together like a little video of uh Philadelphia and it randomly won. And so I won a camera and like an editing suite. Forever? Forever, yeah. I mean, now the camera is like super outdated, and like <laughs> I'm like, sure your Frank, iPhone your is Frank. much better quality. But at the time, mm-hmm. but not yeah. the editing suite anymore. Uh, yeah, no, I don't use that one either. But right, but for you a while, could. Yeah, sure. You could. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, there is something about the world we live in now that you were kind of. Uh, it was the Wild West when you started, right? And totally. you were one of the people who kind of figured out how to use it in a way that um, could bring more people into this thing mm-hmm. that, you know, when you described, I was in Detroit. I didn't grow up in New York. I didn't have yeah. access to any of this. Yeah. I think I think my, my curiosity about all of it is, does it suddenly make it feel like, oh, anyone can do this? Mm-hmm. Or... Or do people still realize how very, very hard it is to do eight shows a week? Yeah. And it's just a strange thing to me, trying I to agree. figure out, like, it makes it all so accessible. But I feel like somehow they missing how friggin' hard it oh is. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's I, – I have always, like, as a creator, I have just always placed my money on betting on theater. Uh, that's been – the world that I'm the most interested in. And I think we have incredibly rich stories to tell. So right from the beginning, I was filming my friends performing at concerts, uh, like 
My two of my best friends are Pask and Paul, who are in my class at school. And I early feel on, awful. Things are just. I know like, they've when had a really gonna, hard year. <laughs> when is it going to break for them? <laughs> Someday. Well, how are they? So that's a perfect example. They yeah. they were plugging away and plugging mm-hmm. away, and suddenly. What seems to us like overnight success, I'm sure to them has oh felt like, gosh. are you kidding me? Yeah, working, they're the hardest workers I know. But I think that they also, they put a lot of stock in uh, the kind of grassroots aspect of producing theater. And uh, by the way, they wrote Dear Evan Hansen and mm-hmm. uh, The Greatest Showman, yeah. the 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 the. All the music yeah. um, for La that La movie, Land last La La Land, just in case yeah, totally, there's totally. anyone here who just woke up <laughs> uh, from a coma and wasn't sure who Pascal Fall were. We're so glad you're out of your oh coma, and we just want to bring you up to date about what they've been up to. Oh my God, it's so true. No, but uh, yeah, going back to what you were saying, like I knew as a kid, I was so hungry for any kind of any theater. Like I would tape the Tony Awards every single year and just replay that tape over and over because it was like the one evening when all of your Broadway shows could be on prime time. Like, I definitely have in my handwriting a tape of your Tony Awards for Charlie Brown that we would play like that over and over and over again. Yeah, Um, I know. It's a really delightful religion to be a part of. When you said that you're not the most religious person, (laughs) it it, it is a nice one. Yeah. Very non-denominated. It's just great. (laughs) So have you had had long stretches of time ever without work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There have been times when I audition and I never get anything. Uh, And I feel like that is uh, the second I experienced that. I was like, I need to sort of go full force into trying to be a creator instead of being just an interpreter because I don't I don't know anyone who's like, I do really well with unstructured time. It's like it's a great place for me to be in. I don't I, I need deadlines. I need projects that uh, need attention. Uh, and yeah, I think I've become a better creator as in the times when acting has not been as fruitful um, Do you feel successful? That's a hard question. I, I do. I feel successful. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. But I, I also... you're from the Midwest, so that's like <laughs> the worst question oh for you ever to have to answer. I will say, I I do feel I feel successful and incredibly. I realize I'm very lucky, and I've had a lot of amazing opportunities that started with a leg up. Um, but I do think that I am still pretty insecure, and I think that that does drive me. Um, I feel like I am a little sometimes driven by fear. And uh, what some do you ways, mean by that? I like. I feel like I've got a little bit of imposter syndrome that everyone will like find me out and be like, "This person's not special. They're just like at the right place at the right time." So, how does imposter syndrome mm-hmm. f- fuel you? rather than make you pack up your suitcases and go home and work at, you know, a store. I think it it goes back to the love that I have for this business where I can pretend I could be happy in other jobs, but I I think theater is magic and especially just the community aspect of it. Like my favorite part of performing is not standing on zero in a spotlight, like belting out. It's... It's Hanging out in Tech Week and telling war stories and getting drinks after the show. Um, and so 
I am trying to find a way in my career to get that kind of community aspect if the shows ever run out or if uh, people don't want to buy my content. Uh, I will find a way to be a part of this world. Were you and your siblings as supportive of each other as it sounds yeah. like your family has been? Is there competition? Do you ever feel like, okay, she just got another one? <laughs> like like where, I mean, Maggie's obviously taken it into yeah. a different direction in terms of uh, the kind of work she's pursuing mm-hmm. and and. And the community service aspect of yeah, it. Yeah. I know Celia, aside from being an incredible actress, is also such a dynamic presence in the world of social activism within yeah. the Broadway community, as are you. But in terms of like sibling rivalry, how do you guys handle that? I have to be honest. Like, I am here to tell the truth on everything, and I have never once felt jealous of my sisters, and I don't think they have ever felt anything but pride for each other's accomplishments. Um, I think part of that has to do it with exactly what you said. We've all sort of found our own kind of path mm-hmm. in this business, but I can't imagine. I, I think people are always sort of wanting to hear like, oh, you got to be jealous of Jesus, three Tony nominations. And I just could not picture a world where I would ever hear good news about either of my sisters and view it as a failure on my part or something that I haven't achieved. Um, no, I'm the... I think it also, I truly am the biggest fans of them. Like, yeah. the second Celia walks out on a stage, I immediately burst into tears for the entire show. Oh it's, it doesn't I guess even you have matter to see it a, again. Yeah, the truly. first time you're like, I didn't see anything. <laughs> and then every time I see one of my sister's plays, my sister Maggie, I am just, she shakes my worldview. So I feel lucky in that I, I can really be supportive and a huge fan of them, regardless of if I'm related. But And now you have a nephew. We do, yes. Celia has a son. Do you want to have kids? Um, that's a good question. I go back and forth. Um, I think, honestly, growing up as a gay person, I kind of didn't even think I would ever get married. I, I sort of wasn't fed that line as a kid that... Well, wasn't happening. Yeah, no, it was so not a part of. You had to make a choice. Your, well, not you had to make a choice. Your life would be untraditional Mm -hmm. in that way. And I think, I think as a gay man, I still am. Not that I think I'm undeserving of that, but it it hasn't been a thought that I've sat with for long enough to totally know if I want it. And I think part of that involves living in New York, where Mm -hmm. it's just really expensive and. If you're a gay guy and want to have a kid, it's not the easiest or the cheapest. Yeah, it's all it's all about bank. Yeah, I will say, being engaged to my fiance makes me definitely lean much further towards having a kid than I was before. Now, did he ask you? Did you ask him? Did you ask each other? <laughs> yeah, what, we were super it... practical about it. We were both. I don't even. We both had sort of come to the. Many through many conversations decided that yes, this is the right time for us to get engaged. So we even we like went to the ring store together and got each other's rings in front of each other and sort of picked a date when we're like, okay, let's propose to each other on this date and we'll like go take a trip and yeah. But you're not wearing a ring. It's because it's getting resized. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, because you're so you've been losing so much weight. Oh my gosh, no! Because it's my fingers in the summer were a lot fatter than they are now. Now it's so cold in the city. Like right. I lost it in a ball pit. So in a ball at a, pit at a Christmas party for Scott's work. Okay. 
I lost it, and we we ended up finding it. But I was like, this this needs to get okay. Finding resized. a <laughs> ring in a ball pit is like oh my gosh. literally a needle in a haystack. The idea that you found it means you guys were meant to be together forever. <laughs> I agree. That is the symbolic meaning behind that. Truly, can you think of the war story of kind of what you went through with Susical is not an audition story, although yeah. a very like come to Jesus moment yeah, at yeah, a yeah. young age. Can you think of an audition story to share? That will make me really happy right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay, so the first thing that I auditioned for when I graduated from University of Michigan, it was for High School Musical, the like national tour that Disney was. Don't say out. it with any cynicism, because I <laughs> oh, bow down <laughs> to those three films. <laughs> Truly. Oh, I saw the third one in theaters. <laughs> okay, um. I just want you to know. And we could have a High School Musical off right now, and I dare say I might win. But oh we goodness. digress. Oh. Um, However, <laughs> so it was, um, it was for the national tour, and I somehow was able to get into the final callback because I was still at school, and uh, it meant me flying in. And I think my agents were just like, "He's really, really right for this. Just push him through to the final callback so he doesn't have to keep flying back to yeah, New yeah. York during finals." Um, so I, I got into the city. I arrived like my flight was delayed, and they were like, "Just head straight to the audition." What would Zac Efron do? What would Zac Efron do? <laughs> Or in this case, like Ryan, the like little oh, gay one. You're the brother. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Um, so I had on like my cute little like skinny jeans and my like sweater vest and like a little hat. Sure. To go in and read for Ryan, and I get there and I'm super late and I'm like, I'm so sorry. They're like, no worries, no worries. They're almost done learning the dance. So if you just want to go in uh, and learn the rest of it, and I was. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think I was supposed to do a dance call. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing the dance call right now. Um, the the kids, they've learned it already uh, from their previous auditions, but they want to see it in front of the whole creative team. So I come in late. It's not just the dance call. It's the basketball number. Get your head in the game. So it's like choreography with basketballs that everyone had learned at the previous audition. And I was already late for them just reviewing it. So they give me a basketball. I'm in like this totally impossible outfit. Everyone else is in like basketball clothes. And they're like, just learn as You're much as you can. You're in tight Yeah, truly. <laughs> and they're like, just we'll put you in the last group. Just try to learn as much as you can. Okay. So I get to that final thing. And they're like, and if you could just uh, at the beginning of like, we're going to put you in groups of four. And if you, you have uh, 16 counts to just freestyle basketball tricks. Uh, so people are spinning balls on their fingers, like rolling them up their arms like and rolling Blow it down the other. Style. Yeah, and I'm like, "Are you insane? We're musical theater people. This is like why I'm not." Do you remember when Chip? Okay, beauty. Like, I'm Chip. Yeah, no, truly. Uh, so I already, I don't know the combination. Are you I dying never learned inside? it. I am truly dying inside, and I'm like, this is my first audition, graduating, like my first, like Bernard Telsey, take me seriously moment. And so we get to the freestyle. I'm like, oh, freestyle, like, you mean me dribbling? Because that would be, like, an impressive trick. So I, I like, dribble. Immediately the ball flies out and, like, bounces across the room. And I go and grab it. And then it's time for me to do the dance. And I just I go into the white room. I'm like, I don't know this. I can't do it. So I was like, well, I better... I better do some improv if I can't do the dance. So I took the ball and I put it under my shirt and pretended to be a pregnant lady and then acted an entire birthing story of uh, like doing my like pregnancy breaths and then birthing the basketball 
And then by the time I was done with that, like, acting exercise, the combination was over and the room was, like, dead silent. And the director, Jeff Calhoun, uh, was like, I'm going to need to see that group one more time because I only watched The Pregnant Lady. And so I, like, totally walked out with my head in my hands. I'm like, well, I definitely blew that. Uh, Didn't get cast, obviously. Um, But had some friends who got cast on the tour. And on the first day of rehearsal, Jeff Calhoun addressed the cast and was like, okay, guys, I'm going to need the level of commitment that that little Andrew Keenan Bulger kid had in the final callback. Like, I need to see you guys being really inventive and, like, full of personality. So one of my friends was like, dude, it wasn't as bad as you thought. And then, of course, full circle, Newsies the Musical gets announced and Jeff Calhoun is directing it. Uh, So everything sort of happens for a reason. You never know. I'm picturing Barbara Streisand when Ziegfeld makes her do the beautiful number, yeah. she's like, I am so beautiful. <laughs> and she comes totally. out like, June is <laughs> the pregnant bride. That's amazing. <sighs> and it really does show you like the things that we think are the most humiliating. And we really should pack our bags and go out the window in the mm-hmm. bathroom and never return. Turn you into crutchy. Truly. And also like, I don't think that I would have that kind of bravery now. I need to discover a little bit more of that because I think if I ever walked into that situation, I'd just be like, I'm not, eh, doing I'm not this. auditioning. I'm just going to leave. And I like, had the wrong information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, but I think it is that it's just bravery, being scared and just like totally delusional that like this is a good idea will sometimes get you the job. <laughs> I love it. Well, Andrew Keenan Bolger, I. I'm so happy to have spent this time with you today. You're a magical person. Oh my god. You're just a magical person. Oh, and any time I get to me. spend with you is just <laughs> delightful. So thank you for being thank here. Thank you so much. Clouds can make the wind blow. Bugs can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that you know. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is littleknownfactspodcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.